people are watching. That is a warning to not let your kids end up on the magic island. I knew it all along. Advice on how to masturbate less. It tickles the imagination. God is a supercomputer. Is this bullshit? Welcome to the Irrational Discourse Podcast. This is part two of the Oh God, Chapter Two episode, and we are still with author Peter James of God is Great, a Bible rebuttal to Christopher Hitchens. We concluded our last session with James about to beat both Chris and I with a Bible, so let's jump back in and see how well we fared. And we're back. Okay. Here we are, folks. See, time dilation. It was 10, 15 minutes in our time, and it was only two seconds. In, in this time. Yeah. Yep, yep. We're in a whole new world now. It's all relative. Mm-hmm. I like it. How do you two? One, one thing you, you had discussed briefly with me, um, evolution. So this evolution became a hot topic over the last couple of weeks in between episodes. We exchanged several emails and... Talking yeah. about Dawkins and... No, you asked me a long thing about the 244,000 years beforehand. We were talking about that. And that was you, during the last episode. And then no. you said, well, certainly you believed on it. And I go, no, no, I don't believe yeah. that. <laughs> so I had... You, you had reminded me last episode, you uh, went into a... Not rather lengthy, but you went into a rather detailed uh, piece about circumstantial evidence. With looking out the window, seeing the wind blowing. Oh, we were talking about Hebrews uh, one eleven, I think again. Something along those lines. Yeah, eleven one. Yeah, it was eleven one. Okay, I'm correcting the. the uh, I'm correcting the master. The student has become the, definition the master. Definition of faith. 11-1. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, I. This is something because what it reminded me of, and when, when you started going into the. The, the bit of circumstantial evidence my, about my when analogy. you look out of what you're, yeah. It, well, what, the analogy is based on circumstantial evidence to where you don't directly feel something, but you see the effect of all of that. So obviously, you know, that... It's there, enough of a reality, though not be held. Right. So one of the things that I, it, it kind of, it started a little itch that I, and I went back and started looking at some of my old notes and from from college and... It was more of a, 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 you know, a hypothesis or more of a, a thought experiment. And it was, say, 3,000 years ago, God or the, the universe or the, the divine energy. The, yeah, like I see, had, you know, like it could have been like, a, like during that big bang, you know, it was one big energy once, it was all one, and then it fractured off into smaller segments, and then here we are. So the thought experiment on that was from my older days. I'm not that old, but from from my younger days, I guess I should say. Well, say 3,000 years ago, this divine energy or God or or whoever or whatever had given us like a 10 million piece puzzle with all the pieces when put together would give us a clear depiction and understanding of the laws of nature, the origin of the universe, everything that we wanted to know. You know, but we had to spend time putting together that puzzle. Today, we are some percentage away from completing that puzzle. I don't know if we're 50% of the way, if we're 70% of the way. So say, or one. But just say, just say, well, yeah, but just say we have pieced together 30% of that puzzle, just to throw out a number 30, 31, because I like odd numbers. I'm odd that way. 
say we'd gone through 31% of the puzzle. The pieces that we as a society fit together, all of those pieces fit well together. The data on each piece or the picture, the, the data complements the surrounding pieces. Correlations and causations are visible. This is big bang. This is evolution. This is microbiology. It's you know, basically the laws of nature that govern us today. Correlations and causations are clearly visible and all evidence and analysis that we have as of today point to that being true. That's on the scientific side. There are still gaps. There are complete voids in other areas where we don't know what's there. Part of those voids would be like dark matter, for example, or dark energy, I guess I should say. Which is something that is like observed in a mathematical perspective, but not necessarily from a telescope or yes. a, or a microscope even or or whatever yeah but we you know these are things that we don't understand they're they're the gaps there are areas where maybe there are indicators that it's fuzzy and it could be a to be continued on puzzle number two we don't know but the 30 or so percent that we have put together so far perfectly aligns with every bit of analysis evidence testing corroboration and it works so we're making that step my, the, the premise is, is on the theological side, especially in some sects of the theological side, that 10 million piece puzzle was handed over and they chucked it upside, they chucked the pieces upside down and said, we don't need this because all the information is in this book. So God has all the answers. We don't need it. Referring to the Bible. Referring to the Bible. Uh, right. The Bible's not written as a science book for you. It's written for you to make it through the conclusion of the system. Yeah, but it's but, more written but it's in like in like like it's like it's like the stories that are told in the Bible have information encoded in them through their their metaphors is how I observe it. You know, but I it could have information like physics and a lot of the stuff that are scientific I mean, principles, but you know they're talking it's about more it likely metaphor. to have information in physics that is incorrect sure, based on what possibly, we have learned yeah, and know today. Back then it would have been alchemy and it wasn't chemistry. It was <laughs> it was alchemy. It was astrology. astrology. It yeah, was, it was a lot different. I mean, Astrology they were, is condemned. I they know were, it is. It's one of the 613 were, laws, which is actually one of them that I wrote down because I think it's kind of funny. Not as, We'll get to that we're on the 613 laws. But do you know the God of the Gaps theory? I think so. It's been a long time. Since so this is the trap. It is a it is a form of argument that theology has taken for the last two thousand years that most theologians today warn against. They don't like it and they warn against it. And the reason they they do is if we take that puzzle analogy and you the God of the gaps would be everywhere that a puzzle piece had not been put in place. The church and the devout would subscribe or ascribe, not subscribe. They would ascribe that to God. So on day one, we had one piece. And it's like, okay, we understand one ten millionth of everything. God controls the other 9.999 million pieces. Then there are two pieces, and God diminishes. Then there are 10 pieces, and God diminishes even further. And as we learn more and more and more, the gap gets smaller and smaller and smaller, and you can no longer ascribe that to God because it's been explained, as we said with... Uh, Laplace, when you know, and it could be apocryphal when Napoleon asked him on explaining the motions of the planets, if I don't see God in your hypothesis or I don't see God in your math, and he said, I had no need of him for my hypothesis. 
And that's kind of where this is going. Now, the, the typical response to that is every time one of those gaps is closed up from the side of religion is resistance. They fight, they cite, oh, it's false data. They'll claim that it's the work of Satan. They'll claim whatever it is to rebut that information. Well, you know how I feel about organized religion. I know you do, but it's not just organized religion. I'm not going to argue with you at all. But it's not just organized religion. It's also, it it can be somebody that's just specifically devout. And if something comes along and they say, hey, we just discovered something and it contradicts what's in the Bible, there is automatically resistance to it. It's like that has to be wrong because it doesn't agree with the book. That's basically a summary of the God of the Gaps is, and there's there's Giordani Bruno, he, he was an Italian monk. He was a bit of a troublemaker. But in the 16th, around 1600, the late 16th century, he postulated that stars could actually be other suns like our own. And those other suns could have planets like our own. And those planets, if that was the case, could possibly have life forms like ours on it. This is 423 years ago when he postulated this. This and was around... This beer. Yeah, beer was around. Yeah, which is number two for me, by the yeah. way. I, I finished and, one. And the church, the, so the church responded as they would typically respond. They accused him of heresy because if there were other planets and there were other life forms, then obviously Christ would have had to have visited those. And it doesn't say anything about that in the scripture. So they burned him at the stake. And they didn't just burn him at the stake. They stripped him naked. They turned him upside down so that he wouldn't pass out from smoke inhalation so he could feel the flames. Uh, the Copernican theory. Copernicus didn't want to publish his findings because of fear of religion. Galileo. Yeah, the, the church finally apologized to Galileo 350 years after the fact, and now they've apologized to Darwin 150 years after the fact. So you're, these you're pushing on an open door here. Dan. I know. I'm not I know. Fight you at all on this? But it's I not. Think, I think about uh, Jesus talking. To, uh, we're, we're under the obligation of love and loving our neighbors. That's the one of the the first. How I like they, that verse. How can they? How can they treat a neighbor like that? No matter what, how, how can they, they? If they're following Christ, they wouldn't be burning anybody at the stake. Is what I'm saying. No, they. No, they yeah. But it's an unchristian thing to do. It's not an unchristian thing to do because the Old Testament gives guidance on how we should treat people that oppose us and oppose our beliefs. No, it gives the the Israelites how they were supposed to uh, uh, do. Not you and I. We're not under those laws. Uh, God well, was that's trying certainly to, good. God was trying to get a job done. Bring his son through Abrahamic offspring. Okay, again, God was trying to get his job done, but he just did the big bang or the quiet bang, and he's responsible for quantum mechanics and for particles and for the, the, the strong and weak nuclear forces and singularities and dark energy, and he figured all of that out at a snap of a finger, but, but he struggles so much to try to get a seed down the line that he wants to kill children and commit genocides. And no, tell because he wants to work with the offspring of Adam. He doesn't want... I need a beer. With he that. could have started over, like you said. He could have killed Adam and Eve and being in the right and start all over again, but then you and I wouldn't be here. No, he could have done it right the first time. <laughs> done it right the first time. He's God. Oh, He's... That, that means no free will then. Take free will away. Oh, well, a, okay, yeah, now we're going to topic. get into another yeah. topic because... Free will. Is there free will? Is there free will? And yeah. we're starting to see... Or is this just a consequence of a thought? <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, we also know now <laughs> we have 80 to trillion biological organisms in our body that actually can influence the way... You know, 40 trillion of those can actually you know, influence the way we think, say, in our 
gastrointestinal system. Yeah. So, a, I mean, how much is that in free will? Oh, the the yeah. cravings for chocolates, the cravings for carbs. How much free will do we have in those instances? So free will, free will is a debatable topic. And I, I don't know. I don't know where I fall on that side. I, I mean, I think I have free will. I like thinking I have free will. But there are times when I'm like, Oh God, why the hell did I eat that? You sure. can reach over and turn the radio off or turn it to another station. Yeah, but, I, but was that decision made for you 50 milliseconds before you actually decided, you know what, I'm going to turn that off? I think we do. No, that's, that's predestination and God doesn't predestinate anything. I think we do. I, I don't think it's God. I, I think, think it's we, biology. I think we do have free will to a certain degree. Um, I think we have free will, but all of these things, these outside influences are absolutely apparent like bacteria which technically are inside of us but still they're little bacteria um agendas you know want a certain thing they want more sugar or whatever they're looking over so they you know create these cravings inside of us yeah it's another brain in the body you know tell us what to do but like i I think it's possible to resist those urges and, and that's kind of like one of the the paths of mastery right wasn't that one of the things that jesus was like teaching you know like kind of self-control and stuff i mean he struck me as a very monkish type dude um but uh, i i don't really know <laughs> so i just had a little sip there so i could feed my uh, bacteria belly. no my bacteria um, made me just open it, another one too so. yeah and i wasn't thinking of it you know I was, I was thinking of another thought so my mind was elsewhere but my body uh, my heart mind, my stomach mind was like, no, just don't even think about it. You know, just do it. You know, just drink it right down there, guy. <laughs> but James, but James, uh, <laughs> Ma- Matthew nineteen twenty six says, with God, all things are possible. So why is it so he can do anything? He can create the sun and the stars and the earth and the moons and biological he organisms. Did. He can do all of that. Yeah. But then getting a seed to pass down the line without committing horrific acts of violence against innocent people is impossible for him. It's not impossible. But he, did, he commanded it. He didn't just let it happen. He commanded it in multiple this, cases. This is, a, this is a big stumbling block for you. And I understand where your, your thinking comes from, Doug. And I, I can see it. And I, I sympathize with how you're seeing that. But Let's see if we can make a bridge. Let's see if we can just say... Follow Jesus' words to keep knocking, and that door will be open to you. You'll be able to see it plainly with your heart and mind. I would say anybody out there who thinks objectively and rationally would never be able to study the Acts in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Kings and come to understand and accept that. I think they could understand the New Testament forward, and we've hit on this several times. Chris just you know hit on it again. I think I could do that, and it's like, you know— that God's not so bad. He's still a little bit of a totalitarian, and I don't think I want to spend, you know, an eternity under that under that kind of rule. But he's not going around commanding his followers to rip the unborn babies from the bellies of their mothers and to grab infants and dash them against stones. It's two completely different gods. You cannot... So somebody who had no influence, say, in religion whatsoever growing up, and then at the age of... 25 after their frontal cortex, their prefrontal cortex had fully developed, they were given an Old Testament and a New Testament. Nobody could objectively and rationally read both of those versions of the Bible and say the God of the New Testament is the exact same God of the Old Testament. It's not objectively possible. Subjectively, it is very possible. Objectively, I I don't think you can circle that square. Again, my opinion. I, I value your opinion, and I would say keep studying. 
keep keep looking up scriptures, keep knocking, and that door will be open. To you. I got a question off topic too, because I just I just I just read Matthew nineteen twenty six. Um, With God, all things are possible. What happened in Judges one nineteen? And I'm not expecting you to know this off the top of your head. We can look it up, but it says that God was able to drive the people out of the valley, but he couldn't touch. No, he drove them off the mountain, but he couldn't touch the people of the valley because they had chariots of iron. I don't think he could do anything he wanted to. In fact, at one of the battles, he just told the Israelites to stand there, and he would take care of it. He, I think he... Uh... All right, we're going to have another edited pause here. Edited it. Did you hit a pause? I didn't hit the edited pause, so I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to pull this up and then I'll 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 edit it. What is um, the scripture? Because I'd like to see it from several different. Bibles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's ju- it? it's Judges one nineteen. Uh, okay, so I'll just read it and then you can look at it from different ones. So I'm looking at it. Let me change Bibles. The King James. Version? I like being able to change. I'll look up King James. What does King James start with? It starts with a K. I don't know what the hell I'm doing here. All right, I didn't like my version. <laughs> I don't like that version. I'm going to read a different version. Yeah, I, I know this verse. This is not God. He can drive them out. He's talking about Joshua had trouble driving them out. Uh, let's see. And the Lord was with Judah, and he drove them. He drove the inhabitants of the mountain, but could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had chariots of iron. With size on their... Yeah, but it says in the Lord. It doesn't say... It says in the Lord drove out the inhabitants. This is the, I'm reading King James. Yeah. They drove out the inhabitants of the mountain, but could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had chariots of iron. And obviously chariots of iron 2,500 years ago would have been very impressive, but God can do anything. That's for further study. See, what if God has limitations? You know, say, he, say he, for example, let's, let's say that, does. yeah, let's say that God is um, a, a sentient being, a consciousness and is a man. Okay. Uh, then what does that mean? Like, email, I marked it yeah. down. Okay, great. Like, what if, what if he has limitations and can only, you know, yeah, like... He does have a limitation. There's, yeah. The Bible says there's something he cannot do. Which is what? Lie. He cannot lie. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. That's cool. That is cool. Interesting. Where do yeah. you want, where do you huh. want the conversation to go? I want to give you, I want to give you full autonomy in deciding... If you don't have anything specific in mind, I have plenty of ways we can digress. But if there's oh, no, something, I was, I just want to make sure that your audience comes in with us and they're they're part of what we're doing. And I I brought two books for your audience. Yes, let's you you. I think you had a I think and you had I a had very idea great for, idea. So why don't you go? Why don't you my cover idea your idea? Was, um, well, first we probably needed to talk about this because most people like Christopher. And like all those that were taught by that church over there, you, I think, were taught by that church as well. Unfortunately, I was. I had to for my son. I do anything for anyway, my kids. Anyway, they <laughs> they teach a lot of churches teach you have two choices: you're going to go to heaven or hell, and then hell is some fiery place of torture you don't want to go to, or whatever. Uh, both of those are incorrect. You have to be adopted to go to heaven. God has to choose you to go there. So, the majority of mankind, God's purpose was to have. A paradise earth. Adam was placed in the garden. He was told to cultivate the garden. That was his his work. That garden was to spread throughout the world as he had children. That was the work that had to be done. So it would be a paradise. People would live forever on the earth. That was God's purpose. That purpose has not changed. God wants mankind perfect and on the earth. And he's given uh, his son a thousand years 
uh, reigning over the earth to bring it back to perfection, the resurrection back to the earth with the righteous and the unrighteous. And they will live under that kingdom arrangement in the earth. Now, what will that be like? What would an ideal paradise living on earth be like? And I think that comes up to the individual. Yeah. So, Uh, So what I did was I brought two books to give to your audience. Let them list... Uh, what is not what is in this system that isn't going to be in that system? Uh, like uh, so, what's in the system that they that exists right now that wouldn't be in their system of what they think heaven would be? That where where the resurrection back to earth? People oh, back to earth. earth. Okay, so not necessarily. What would earth ha- look like to them? Uh, what would be in that system that wouldn't be in this system? Or the, excuse me, what is in this system? Exactly the opposite of my brain. <laughs> what is in this system that wouldn't be in that system? The well, expanse. He started here. The expanse. Yeah, yeah. that this, program. Ooh. Okay, so on your on your idea, and I, you know, I like doing thought experiments, and you want the audience to send yeah, those I, to our to, I've given to you us two, two books. And I'll let them come to you, and that might be another show for you. you okay. Know, who knows? Yeah, yeah, maybe we could do that. And I, how about if— Use their oh, imagination. What's going to be there? What's not going to be there? What would that system be like? You were said you were generous enough to autograph those books? I will. Okay, awesome. And you can send any thoughts that you have on that. Send, send them to uh, debate at irrationaldiscourse.com. Uh, that's, that's the show's email. Chris and I will get that. We will make sure to— Get those over to James, and um, we'll pick out the two, and we'll announce the winners and get okay. those books off to you. That, that, thank you. Why That's not? great. I'm grateful because I feel like I'm here in heaven now, you know, uh, and every moment that passes by is kind of like an ascension to the future and continuing to live yeah, that way, there's right? There's a scripture that I read in here that eternity is in our hearts. It's it's already in us to live forever. We want we want to live a long time. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned the great bamboozler. Yeah. Elaborate. Yeah. This is the angelic creature that um, was in the Garden of Eden watching over Adam and watching the worship go from Adam to God and started dwelling on that. And James 1, uh, 13 and 14 says that we think about those things long enough. We're going to drawn out by our own desire. When that desire is fertile, it gives birth to sin. He wanted that worship. So he figured a way to divert them from God. And he started with Adam's wife, and they took from the tree that they shouldn't have, and the death and sin entered the world. And uh, he's been running the world ever since. God's allowed. He didn't, see, that's the thing. He didn't raise a question of God's power. He didn't say Yahweh is not, I'm more powerful than Yahweh. What he said was, in front of all the other angels, God's right to rule. Is it any good? Or can man right rule himself? Is he the best there is? So God allowed him these six days. One day with God is a thousand years. It's been six days. We're at the end of that. Uh, we've had every type of government there is. We've had every kind of rulership there is. Uh, how did we do? What's our grade? You gave a uh, Richard Dawkins uh, description of God. Do you have that? Can yes, you read I do. That again? Yes, I can. Yeah, read that for your audience because I want to I want to make that correlation I made with you later, and I want them to think about that too. I have it. Uh, Richard Dawkins' description of God. The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all of fiction. 
And I do want to highlight, because I do agree with Richard's assessment here, but it is the God of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Aramaic scripture. He's jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. Now, he specifically made note that he thought that of the God of the Old Testament. He needs to do more study, but go ahead. So, okay, well, what see, with me, make... the more I study, the more I agree with his assessment. Well, God, well let's keep going then. Not unless it's out of just utter defeat and depression. Um, but it's, yeah, the more I study the Old Testament and... What I wanted to point out about that, that I thought about later after I left, was that that description can aptly be applied to man in his history. But we're we're comparing man to God. I don't think that's... No, I'm not saying that analogy can be... I won't argue. I will not. Given to man. I would never argue with that. I I think the horrible... Not horrible. The overused phrase of man's inhumanity to man, as much as it's overused, and I I actually use that in a... uh, when I was at UT Dallas, I used that in one of my essays, and it got underlined like twice and read. It was my first essay in a one of my history classes, and he was like, "Don't ever say that again." <laughs> so, why, why? Why was he so? Uh, just because it's such an it's an, like an overused crutch. He's probably seen it in a million different essays from a million college kids that come through and thinking, "Oh, I know this excellent crutch phrase that makes me sound so much smarter and so much more righteous." Man's inhumanity to man. It's, like it's such a first step, though. It is. <laughs> I'm not going to say better late than never. Okay, there I said it. Yeah, he, he gave me he gave me a B plus for effort. Said it would have been an A if I hadn't used that phrase, and I got A's straight after that. I never used it again. But but yes, yes, we are a whore. We are a flawed, hairless primate. We have we are psychologically flawed, and if we went back and just looked at our evolutionary flaws, which I know you don't agree with. They're there. They're obvious. You really don't have to go that far back, do you? No, I don't have to go that far back. I don't. I mean, <laughs> I mean, look at modern day, and we we had this. You, we you had were the, disgusted at a bombing that was going on the other day. Yeah, we we exchanged several emails over the last week talking about you know, the the horrors of of man, and I still say, as a species, we have come a long way, not just in the last two thousand years, but in the last hundred years. Look in the United States alone. Technologically, you're saying? No, no I'm, just I'm like morally. Well, medically, technologically, but also socially. I, I yeah, look at, socially, yeah. Look at where, look at where we, I think it was, you know, one of the last cities to desegregate was 1972. That was in my lifetime. That That's just, I mean, even thinking about that is, it's horrific. But then you look in 36 years after that, we had our first African-American president. So, I mean, as a species in our love thy neighbor, and now Tina and I also talk about this too. We like dystopic movies. We watch The Walking Dead, we, you know, The Book of Eli. But if society and secular law broke down today, we are, again, we haven't evolved much as a species in the last thousands of years. It would be a battle for resources and power and control, and we would revert right back to where we were 2,000 years ago. The evidence of that is... COVID and the freaking 
toilet, toilet paper, paper rolls. <laughs> I mean, and Y2K and the toilet paper rolls. And any, any uh, everybody crisis, rushes in like, and then people, you know, it becomes a, you know. We know it's it, possible. Like we're, our society just dangles I mean, on we see it. We see it in countries today that don't have the secular laws and the structures in place to support it. You know, warlords, the people with the most power subdue and oppress the people with the least amount of power. It's... No, I, I couldn't agree with you uh, more. And the only thing that's keeping us from going back to being the horrible species that we were thousands of years ago, at least in many countries, is that we have strong secular laws in place to prevent that. If those laws, if that system ever breaks down, I have no doubt that society, the decay of society, would lead us right back to where we were. I was listening to a talk one time by Sam Harris. Uh, he was speaking in Aspen, Colorado, and he was condemning God of the Bible and, and going on. And he was, uh, one of the, his big things was slavery. I, I just wrote him a, an email saying, D- have you looked at slavery today? It's worse today than it's ever been. So I think I, I, <laughs> I, I heard that. I, I've heard Sam talk about that before. And it wasn't just Sam. It was, it was others as well. And I think one of the, the context of that, you know, it isn't that God, it, it wasn't the direct tie in. It was that a lot of countries, and even we did it here, justify the act of slavery based on the scripture. You know, slavery is not only condoned, it's mandated in times. Well, part of the 613 laws talks about treating your slaves certain ways. The cornerstone of the Confederate States of America, and Alexander Hamilton Stevens, who was their, the vice president of the Confederate States, gave an address, the cornerstone, his, the, the cornerstone address uh, to Congress that said that the, the, the Confederate States of America were absolutely founded on the principles that African Americans were inferior to whites and that it was their place to be sub, subordinate to the white man. And he pulled that from scripture, right or wrong, Anybody can interpret he it. He didn't pull it from Jesus Christ, I can tell you that. No, but he pulled it from Scripture. And it, you know, and we are vindicated by God was the motto of the Confederate States of America. As, as Christopher Hitchens was so you know, rightfully point, pointed out, the, the Waffen-SS and the German Wehrmacht had on all their belts and shoulders, they had uh, Gott mit uns uh, inscribed on it, God's with us. There's all of them. I think uh, Bob Dylan sang a song about that. You know, you'll have to decide whether God is on your side. The whole thing about they had God on their side through the whole song. Yeah, and didn't Lincoln say, I hope we're on the side of God? He said said it would be better to be on the side of God. On the side of God. (laughs) Right. So, wild. Yeah. Well, it's like a psychological thing. I just wanted to point out. That slavery today is larger than any time in history. 43 million people are in slavery today. It is, but I'm just saying that the scripture has been used as a justification for, for multiple genocides and for the acts of slavery, not just by Christians in the Christian scripture, but also Islam. Do you know the first war that we fought as a nation? No. It was Thomas Jefferson, and it was against pirates who were mainly Islamic, and they felt that they had a right under their laws to take non-believers as slaves. Yeah. And that was once U.S. ships started getting boarded, and you know, we were the heathens, we were the non-believers, they, 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 would just take, they would just kidnap them and take them into slavery. 
their religion they justified felt that their, their actions. Their religion fully justified their actions. Now, what we don't know is, say, in a parallel universe, you strip religion away from them, and they didn't have that belief. Would, would they, they find another? Would they find another justification? Or government? Yeah, no, yeah. They, they may have. Their self-interest probably would have. Right, yeah. but they would. You know, again, we're flawed, hairless primates. We we want to justify our actions. That's cognitive dissonance. When we do something that we might feel is immoral or unethical or wrong, we try to justify that action, and that's something that, yeah, quite possibly they would have done. But it's not to say that it wasn't. Anyway. Well, I'd like to add, <laughs> yeah, it's deep I'd stuff. Like to add two more thoughts. When when people think of those things, they're not Christian. Jesus was standing with his disciples, and his mother and his brothers were coming. And the disciples said, hey, look, Jesus, there's your mother and your brother are coming. And he stopped them and said, really, who is my mother, my brothers, and my sister? It's the one that do what I say. Follow God's laws and do what I say. Um, and again, he said, uh, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do the things I say to do? These are the people that are killing people in the name of God, burning them at a stake upside down like you described. Those aren't Christians. Those aren't following Christ at all. No, they weren't following Christ necessarily. But another verse that you and I have discussed, they might have been, again, it's my split between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. Deuteronomy 22, 23, 24. If a woman is raped by a man and she doesn't scream out, then both the man and the woman are ordered to be stoned to death. And you said that's because she didn't cry out. If she cried out, then what would happen if she cried out? I have no idea. It's hypothetical no, that I can't No, she answer. would be spared. You didn't go on and read that. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, it said she would be spared if she cried out. But what? Okay, so this is another indicator that the Bible is definitely man-made. Because at the time, man would not and did not understand the amygdala of the brain. They didn't understand the fight, flight, or freeze response that occurs in the brain that we have no control over for the most part. And that some percentage, a relatively large percentage of women, when they are physically attacked and raped and have a fear for their life or further damage, will completely freeze. And that's their brain doing that. They have no control over that. But according to the asshats that wrote the bible she should be dragged out and bring them both into the gate of the city and ye shall stone them with stones till they die yeah, because the damsel just, because she cried not th- th- that sounds like to me because they were just <laughs> if somebody went to go rape somebody and then somebody screamed well that encounter is disturbing everybody else's peace so flog them both no if she screamed she'd be spared if she screamed oh. If she, she didn't is, scream, uh, if, if she, she didn't, didn't scream, she'd, she'd be stoned, stoned to death. With the rapist. So this is a blame the victim uh, mentality. Uh, no, uh-huh. it's not blame the victim. It's, it's it's saying scream, and you don't have to worry about a thing. Yeah, but again, if they have the free, if their amygdala has the freeze response, we we know this today. They did not know this when they wrote the Bible twenty five hundred years ago. If somebody has the freeze response ingrained into their amygdala. They freeze. They don't scream. We, we see it today. You see it yeah, in they're combat. Just, they're just like in such shock. You, you have, once the bullets start flying, the guys around you tend to have one of three responses. They get pissed off and they start shooting back. They duck and cower or they completely freeze. So the people that wrote the Bible wouldn't have known that. This is something that really psychologists and psychiatrists and neuroscientists haven't really understood until the past 20 to 30 years. So that, to have somebody write it in a book 2,500 years ago, yeah, of course they did because they didn't know any better. 
so right after that, five verses later, uh, or five, they're not verses, they're sections, 23 to 20, Deuteronomy 22, um, 28, 29. If a man does find a woman and she's a virgin and she's not betrothed and he rapes her, he's okay with that if he pays the father 50 shekels and then marries the girl and stays with her for the rest of his life. What kind of commandment is that? It sounds to me it sounds to me like an old rabbi sitting around writing the verse thinking, you know what, I got 50 shekels in my pocket, I'm writing it in. Maybe. Uh, again, I would say keep studying and uh, you'll, get, you'll get the answer. Uh, However... I'd like to say that I didn't live back at that time. I didn't know the people around what they were doing. I can only read and see what was going on. And there was a lot of bad people back then doing a lot of bad things. But the woman wasn't bad. I mean, it just it doesn't say if a bad woman is raped. It was just saying that if a virgin gets grabbed and, she and gets, raped. If she, and, gets, she needs to scream. No, no, no. The, the, the next one, 2829, whether she screams or not. Then if she if it, both are forgiven or both are forgiven, the rapist is forgiven if he takes her to the father and pays her fifty shekels. Then the, he's forgiven as long as he marries her and stays with her for the rest of his life. Like I said, to me, it just smacks of somebody that's got some spare money and hasn't been laid in a long time and says, "You know what? I'm writing this verse in because." Jeremiah's daughter is pretty hot, and I have 50 shekels. There's some motivation right there for sure. So the, to this, write is, that in. this is why I say well, I that see. The rest of your life thinks. <laughs> you better weigh that one out. As yeah, I know. Okay, yeah. Seconds. So yeah, I mean, yeah, but the guy didn't think that far, right? So yeah, <laughs> you know, you know how it is when the, you, you get to a certain point, and then it, you know your little brain just takes over from the big brain, and it's just well, it's, <laughs> it's just like keep in mind it's the rest of your natural. Life. I know, but other. <laughs> Maybe that would be a big deterrent if you really thought that one through. I have a whole list here of things that it's like I would almost love to sit down with you just one at a time. And I don't want to stu- – they're, they're depressing. I mean, yeah, you guys are treading on some crazy ground over here. No, I, li- I, li- I want you to send those to me, the ones that are really bothering you. I have. Why did, why did, God, why did God turn Lot, Lot's wife into a pillar of salt? Hmm. It doesn't say, say it in the Bible. I've read that God, so that is in um, he said not to look Genesis nineteen twenty six. No, it does not say that in there. He she got turned into a pillar of salt for looking back. But if you read the entire section, it never says in there not to look it. back. I just read it. Not okay, too so long you, ago, and it said and it said uh, I want you to leave the city and don't look back. So you're going to have to send that to me because okay, I I'll, I'll, I read it and I, I went through it a cu- I went through it a couple times and there. I'm I have, so glad, and I'll be glad to do that. I have. There is no mention in the Bible that God had forbade them to look back, and it appears that she was a, a destroyed for completely arbitrary reasons. And I read that. No, so it's she, Genesis 19:26. She turned into pillar salt because she looked back, and her heart was not forward. Her heart was. Uh, she wanted to go. But back. it doesn't say why she looked back. Yeah. Wait. What? What? What's the full depth of this story? So, here? so Sodom and Gomorrah was a horrible, corrupt town. It's, and, it's going to be destroyed by. But two there were of the three angels. There that were came to visit. there were there were two angels that came to visit. From what I understand from the scripture, the 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 citizens or the male citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah came in. They wanted to sexually assault the angels. That was pretty much it. God said that wipe them out. That yeah. That Lot and his wife and his family were the only good ones left. Get out of town. And I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to firebomb Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, wow. And I did not. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I have it here, 19 and 26. And maybe I didn't read it in the right 
the right verse version of no, the Bible. No, maybe you just, it's, it's easy. I've, I've read the Bible. I read it every year and I come across you. I, how come I and please, anybody, before? anybody listen to this also check that as well. Cause I did not see. Right. But then there's the other one. I mean, there, there are ones that are horrific. Um, this one was interesting. Isaiah, Isaiah three sixteen and 17, which was basically God sexually assaulting women directly. God himself and I, I even went further on this one because I went back to the translations because if I looked at the King James Version, for example, or a lot of the other versions, it had really been watered down. It was basically the, the haughty women of Zion and, you know, with their, with their bracelets jingling and with their necks uh, outstretched. And it said God would come down and find their secret parts or their private parts or hair in some translations. In other, it says he would come down and lay, lay their heels bare. But if you go back, I think, and look at the original Koine Greek translation, um, secret parts and private parts from the Koine Greek to today translates to vagina. It was almost like a, you know, a Trump move. I'll grab him by the... I've the read the Bible. Parts. I haven't ran across that yet. So okay, I'm, I will. I am marking when, when you send it to me. I'm marking that one. That's Isaiah. Uh, da, 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 da. What else? Mixed couples. Numbers twenty-five six through eight, where Aaron killed a, an Israelite and his wife uh, because they were mixed race. That God called um, lifting the plague from. Uh, his people. They were. He he had gone and got a Moabite woman. A uh, Medianite. No, she wasn't Moab. She wasn't. She wasn't. She was. She was a Medianite. And I lost the bottle opener. Oh. Um, Damn it! Anybody that was interested, I'm sorry, but yeah, I'll go grab it here in a minute. We had it somewhere. But that's, I thought it was that's, right here that's God telling me to stop drinking. Oh. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so that's the one where um, all it basically says is that Aaron um, and Moses were in a tent. I guess it was like there were a bunch of people around in an Israeli, this Israelite. This is in the wilderness. Came in with his wife, who was a. Uh, so the, I mean, they call them Midianites. 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 Who, which is present-day Ethiopia, I believe. You know, so obviously you have an Israelite and a, an African American or an African woman, not African American, an African woman. And Aaron picked up a spear, went over and just stabbed both of them through the belly. And God said He commanded this so it would remove the plague from His people. Aha. All right, so you need to reread that again because it was not uh, Aaron. It was... Um, that was Aaron. I read it. I'm going to look it up now. Aaron killing it. Numbers 25, 6. This must be a different one because uh, I was thinking about... And behold, one of the children of Israel came in unto his brethren a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses and in sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Blah, blah. Son of Aaron, the priest saw it. Okay. The, when, oh, maybe it was uh, Phineas, the son of... Phineas. Phineas. Yes, okay. Yeah. That's the son who, of that's Aaron, the priest, saw him. it. He rose up from among the congregation and took the javelin in his hand, and he thrust both of them through the belly, so the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, hath turned my wrath away. That's the, the following verse. So a man walks in with his African wife. This guy kills him, and God is pleased. He, um, I can't be Phineas. I just, 
I'm just not built that way. But uh, uh, he got rid of the scourge and uh, got rid of those people that were sinning against Jehovah <laughs> or Yahweh. Hosea 13:16. Samaria shall become desolate, for she hath rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword. Their infants shall be dashed in pieces, and their women with child shall be ripped up. Followed by Isaiah 13, 16, 18, which says the children also shall be dashed to pieces before their eyes and their wives ravished. So this is a benevolent God. No, this is God that warned them plenty of times that he wasn't going to tolerate any more of their uh, strain from what they were supposed to be doing. And he warned them and warned them, and finally uh, they were conquered. And And when they were conquered, those people did those things. And this is also God as in Elisha going against his own promise in Ezekiel 18:20 where he says the sins of the father shall not pass down to the children and then he turns around and he orders the children of Samaria and others to be dashed under the stones because he's upset with their parents. So obviously that's another contradiction. Well, uh, y- or is Ezekiel 18:20 wrong? <laughs> you know, uh Doug, I'm going to uh, continue to give you research and continue to give you scriptures to look up, but um, you you need to just keep studying. You said you read the 613 yeah. laws they were under. Believe me, at the times of these judgments, they weren't doing the law at all. They had gone away from that. Yes, but in your own words, last time on chapter 1, you also said that the 613 laws, they were, it was impossible for people to follow all 613 that's right. laws. So you did the blood. That's why they pointed to the blood sacrifices. You had to do the blood sacrifices. All of that pointed to the greater sacrifice that was coming for all of mankind. That's Jesus Christ. All of those things were a foreshadow of that. And it was mandatory, so it would drum in their minds how important that blood sacrifice was. You know, if there was a secular ruler today that created a code of laws that were impossible to follow complete, now, got, completely, no. United States have 200,000 yeah, sure laws do. on the books. Sure they do, but <laughs> our presidents and our Congress, when there are contradictory laws and somebody violates one of them but not the other, they don't order that their children be dashed to pieces against stones and their pregnant wives have the babies ripped out and that the other wives be raped. It, that's not something that happens. So, But God apparently creates 613 laws that not everybody can follow, and then when they don't follow them, they get their children slaughtered and bashed against no, they stones. They, they, get, they, they do. I just they, read you. I just read you Hosea thirteen sixteen. That's way past any time of um, of them following the law. They're not following the law, and they're also not doing blood sacrifices. So why are their children dashed on stones, dashed against stones into pieces? And also, because that's how the nations treated them when they when they overtook them and took them into slavery. No, but the God God commands it here. That it's not that this isn't a history document. This is Samaria shall become desolate. Yeah, I it's God have, commanding. They have rebelled against God. They shall fall by the sword. Their infants shall be dashed in pieces, and their women and their children shall be ripped. Their women with children shall be ripped up. We their wives shall be ravished. Uh, Doug, we talked about this, and I told you. I think. It's been a long time and I have to look back up through our, our emails, but I think I told you to go back and start at Deuteronomy 26 
and read 26 to the end of the chapter. And it would tell you, it tells the Israelites after it tells them, you follow all of this, this is great. This is what happens when you don't follow it. And it, it goes into pure detail of what will happen to them if they don't follow this law that they made an oath to follow. So I, I would have you go back and research that. I, I, so I did read some of it. I didn't write it down because I tell you what I keep going back to is Ezekiel 18.20, which says the sins of the parents shall not pass, pass down to the children. But it does. Yeah, but this guy's, I keep getting stuck on, what, what are these blood sacrifices coming from? <laughs> the, the blood sacrifices were, they had an animal. Oh, what do you want to do? Get a bottle opener. Oh, okay. it's recording. They stopped doing it. Hmm. They, mm-hmm. they they stopped doing that. Are so, we back on? Yeah. What? So let's get into a couple. Let's get because I think the six hundred three. I so I I did read this is the all six hundred three. Can I look at that? I do. You want to pour a little on your glass and try it? Uh, is that the one you were telling me about? The, the like kind of that's is that the Guinness? This is a mint or something. Stout. Yeah. Yeah. So is it no, official Guinness brand or is it like Guinness? What is this? I don't know. It says Guinness. It's Guinness. Okay. Cool. This is the one you were telling me about, right? Yeah. Yeah, so everybody's out there going, what a wuss, a guy don't, oh, chocolate beer. Yeah. <laughs> Get him. <No. laughs> I'm going to go along with that on that one. <laughs> I would have to say, I went through all those when I was studying stouts, and I told you I went to uh, Hollingshead in Orange County. That. Thank you. Yeah, they you had 600 beers. Wow. I went through all the sweet ones, the vanillas, the chocolates. You want to try it? Mm. Oh, no, thanks. It does that, belong in toothpaste, but mm. I don't mind it in my beer. Wow. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like that beaver kooky. button beer. Yeah. Oh, we got, okay, we got to look at it. So anybody? <laughs> so anybody? Are we on the air? Yeah, we are. Oh, yeah. So anybody oh, yeah. that's interested in what natural flavors are, if you see that in the ingredients, look oh, it yeah. up. Just look it up, and we'll leave it from there. Yeah, natural flavors are very natural. Yeah, they are. I mean, literally. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, so some of the 613 laws. So I read through all of them. Some of them are like, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. I can see that. Whoa. This is one that we discuss psychologically because you can't convince me of this. And You're I, sending these over. I, I want to look up. I want to show you the scripture that says they weren't supposed to look back. I want to get that. So you're it's, going to get it's actually those. well, it's actually in one of my emails from a couple of weeks ago. But I'll I'll pull that back out. I just like copied and but I'll send them over. I'll send over a, a I'm specific one. Research for you, but then I want that to spur you on to do more. And then research. we may not record another episode, but maybe you come back over and we have another dinner and a glass of wine and we talk about them. Okay. So law number four, law number five, law number four. And uh, the context here is that it's on God. The first 10 laws all refer to God or nine laws or something. Number four is to love him. Number five is to fear him. Yeah. Psychologically, those two emotions are diametrically opposed, and you cannot psychologically love something you fear. It doesn't work that way. You can have a healthy respect for fear you can, or something you fear. You can, you can be intimidated by something you fear. You cannot love something that you fear. That's, it's like another side of it, the coin. It's it's yin and yang. It's black and white. Yeah, the, the positive energy. Like it's like God's energy, all positive and all love. I can see, but fear being the opposite the of that. That you see that, but it's a healthy fear of disappointing your heavenly Father. Well, that's fine. Then it should say to respect Him and to fear Him. It shouldn't say to love Him and to fear Him. That's plausible. That's possible. And again. This is something that man 2,500 years ago would not have understood. They, they just would not have. God 
would have. Man, no. I'm going to do research for you. Why? Because I love you, Doug. And <laughs> we love you too. We do. <laughs> so law number 45, not to fear killing a false prophet. Who, who determines who's a false prophet? So wait a minute. We're supposed to kill false, pro- false prophets? Not to fear killing a false prophet. Which so, basically it's like, don't be afraid. If false prophet comes in town, don't be afraid of killing him. Dude, that no, is I, crazy. I, think See, Moses I, I, I fear that. <laughs> yeah, I do. I Moses, do. Moses gave the definition of a false prophet. I'll, okay. I'll find the scriptures and send yeah. it to you. This one I found somewhat humorous. Law number 60. Not to be superstitious. Okay, I don't know why that needs to be a law, but don't be superstitious. The, the next laws are all based on superstition. Don't self-induce a trance to foresee the future. Don't engage in astrology. Not to say incantations or cast spells. Magics and all that. Not to attempt to contact the dead. Don't consult with mediums. Don't converse with wizards. And not to do sorcery. So it says don't be superstitious, but then it just goes through and somebody felt the need to rattle off a whole list of superstitious a things. Litany that, of things that fall under that category. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, Don't do it. So <laughs> the, another one that I found comical, Law 70 and 71. Men must not wear women's clothes and women must not wear men's clothes. Obviously, they had LGBT issues. No, um, won't people won't go along with that one. No, they won't. And, I, and I'm actually, I'm on that too. I That's mean, a weird I, one. I, I tell you what. Uh, so does that mean the Scots are all condemned because for wearing kilts? I, hey, those are men's clothes. They are. They're very manly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they don't wear anything underneath. Well, it's. I haven't peaked, but that's up to you, Doug. <laughs> uh, you know, you sometimes However, you, sometimes you can't help you can't help watching a train wreck. Uh, those were, uh, that, was that was actually a uniform for war, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so this is one. This uh, in one nineteen, the hundred nineteenth law, it isn't anything horrific, but it's another just pure indicator that the six hundred thirteen laws were purely man-made by the people that ran the temples at the time. Families shall pay an annual half-shekel temple tax. Well, there you go. Why would God get involved in setting tax rates for families in a 613 laws? Well, you had one tribe that was people that took care of the, the tent and the tabernacle and all of the, all of the laws, the priestly class. They had no land. Uh, you, they, you had to give them a tribute. You had to... Take care of them. They were taking care of you. But here's this divine entity who is struggling so much to get the seed to pass down the line. He's got the entire universe on his shoulders to worry about. And he decides to sit down and get into economics and set it at a specific rate of a half shekel. Yeah, I think that's too cheap. I, <laughs> I, I really believe he should have upped that. I think a half shekel. I think a half shekel today translates to about thirty-five cents or something like that. But uh, do you um, change for a hern? Yeah, <laughs> but for fifty shekels, you can go rape the neighbor's daughter. That's fine. You um, got to marry her. Yes, and that gets into the stay. next two laws. Law and one. You stay with her the yep. rest of your. Nation. Law one thirty-two. Law right, one thirty-three. The rapist must marry the maiden. All right, audience. They're being sarcastic, by the way <laughs> and he must div- must not divorce her so part of the 613 laws go ahead and rape the maiden but you got to marry her <laughs> this is another one the next 157 158 159 absolute indicators that this is a man-made a, a very inept man-made laws 157 is not to have homosexual relations 
Okay, unethical, immoral, yes, but it's there. Not to have homosexual relations. Then he goes on. Then he goes on to waste two more laws. So he's got two more slots that he wastes to say, not to have homosexual relations with your father, not to have homosexual relations with your father's brother, with your uncle. So if it already says homosexual relations, one fifty-eight and one fifty-nine are completely redundant and unnecessary. Superfluous. Yes. Well, well, the yeah, superfluous and redundant. It's like that. So. Anyway, you get the gist. Yeah, well, I no cross dressing and and don't lie down with men. Yeah, but that covered that that covered that in one fifty seven though, not to have homosexual relations. It didn't go on to why didn't it carry on to say your cousin if it's a male or your brother or it just it it yeah once you say homosexual relations, you're done. That's it. You don't need to specify in the next two laws that includes your uncle and your father. I'm glad so I don't have to research that one. Mm-mm. It's overdone for you. <laughs> or do you want to know why it's overdone? <laughs> I mean, no, because for me, for, for me, this, again, it's, if you, as I wrote when I told you that I had read the 613 laws, if I was a lawyer and I had to build a, a evidence supporting my hypothesis that the Old Testament and the 613 laws were man-made, not divinely influenced, these are ones that I would definitely point out. It does seem a little specific. Like maybe there was someone in whoever wrote that laws. Had problems with their community. father or their uncle. Yeah, or... it was just like, yeah, and don't, then... don't go to the bar, you know. Like... Well, Moses wrote all those down, so. <sighs> if Moses existed. <laughs> so laws. Well, we have to question the, it. We know? do have to question. It's so just... the last three laws, 611, 612, 613, and then we get to the end. 611, carry out the laws of captive women, whatever those laws are. 612, don't sell her into slavery. She's captive, so I guess my interpretation of that, fair enough, is that you can't resell her into slavery. You could set her free, but you couldn't sell her again into slavery. 613, don't retain her for servitude after raping her. So, again, we're condoning rape. It's, it's, it goes right back to... No, we're not condoning it. No, it goes back <laughs> right into 132 and 133. A rapist must marry the maiden. He must not divorce her. The same laws from God apply in 613, where if it's a female slave, you can rape her, but you can't retain her for servitude. So, basically, you can rape her, but then after you rape her, you have to set her free. Dude. I, I don't, I'm not familiar with... There you go. I, I, I'm I highlighting research them. Research when you give them to me. All right. That's that's my soapbox, and I wanted to, again. I want you to kind of guide it. I didn't know if you wanted to get into evolution or signs of unintelligent design or intelligent design. I, I don't know if that's anything that you even wanted to get into. I, so I have to say maybe on all that. Do you want me to go through some of the things, sure, and then you, you decide whether you want what to? Listen, what is, do, you, do you think it would be interesting audio, or should we cut it from here? Hard saying. Um, hmm. Well. Maybe your audience can tell us, and then we can do this again sometime. Yeah, maybe. I would just say that if you if you want to look at evidence of evolution, you have Dryopithecus, Australopithecus, you have Homo erectus, you have Neanderthals, you have Denisovans, and then you have Homo sapiens sapiens, also known as us. Well, um, evolution too. I mean, evolutions of thought. You know, I mean, even from I have I Hebrew American or Hebrew. Amoraic, the Old Testament and the New Testament. You know, that, that right there is evidence of... Hebrew, Aramic, and Christian Greek. Hebrew, Aramic, and Christian Greek 
the the, uh, uh, the original so, so-called Old Testament, so-called Old Testament he, Hebrew Aramaic. Yeah, and and, and and Christian Greek is the yes. I mean, I think right there, that's evidence of an evolution of ideas. Um, evolution exists everywhere, and adaptation. It kind of just seems like change is a constant, is a byproduct of moving forward. Progress has to churn the cogs of the cosmos in order to make energy, in order to make God, right? Okay, I lost you guys. Um. <laughs> so, Doug, did you look up the definition? The Bible calls them that they stay within a kind. Have you ever looked up the difference between a kind and a species? What do you mean the Bible says that we should? Well, we, well yes, I mean, I'm Everyone lying, but... will be to their kind. It doesn't say species. And then we we talk about species today. Oh, it could be like kind of mind. You know, like people could... No, Have you looked he's, he's, he's talking. He's talking about the 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 genus the, the, the genus hierarchies. The, of, defi- the definition between species. Yeah, there. like mm-hmm. don't sleep, don't have relations with a pig. That's two different species. Sure, but so we're talking. So while we're on the subject of evolution, one to two percent of our DNA today is Neanderthal. That's not Richard Dawkins belief or that's not charles darwin thinking i think we're related to neanderthals that's dna evidence that one to two percent of our dna is neanderthal if you only look at the people from the southwest pacific so say the the aborigines um, or in some of the you know some of the islands in that area it's also around three percent denisovan who existed at the same time as the neanderthals and it points to concrete evidence where though you know somebody has 3% 3% Denisovan DNA and 1% to 2% Neanderthal DNA. There's obviously a cross-species and an evolution that, that went on there. If you go back to Homo erectus, we have DNA in common with Homo erectus. I know your, your age, and we talked about time dilation, the Earth being 6,000 years old. No, the Earth is not. The Earth is, what, 4 billion years? 4.5. Okay, 4.5 yeah. billion. Okay, well, well good. So, okay, good, good, good. So, I'm well, going The Bible doesn't argue with that. So, but, you know, we, we have, and I know your suspicions on radiocarbon dating, but we also have potassium uh, argon dating, which is far more accurate and goes back further than 50,000 years. And Lucy, for example, who was Australopithecus. I, I would like you to repeat that to people out there that have all of their hopes built on carbon 14 dating. No, so I'm just saying that you're skeptical on radio on, on um, radiocarbon dating, on carbon-14 dating. Well, because the atmosphere was different back then. The atmosphere was different, but also carbon-14, the process for carbon-14 dating gets calibrated every so f- few years, and there, there's adjustments. And those adjustments aren't by 10,000 years or 30,000 years. They're usually by 150 years to 300 years to 700 years. So the fact that there was man on Earth 15,000 years ago or 15,500 years ago doesn't throw out everything and say, oh, we must have existed only from 6,000 years onward. It just says that, yeah, we were off by 500 years over a 15,000-year time scale. I can live with a 500-year inaccuracy. Potassium argon dating, the closest you can really get with that is 20,000 years. 50,000 years is is really the prime cutoff on that, but they're getting better and have got it to 20,000 years. You have to have a strong understanding of particle physics and half-life and radioactive decay of elements, but it's specific. And you know, we see things like, so Australopithecus was four to two million years ago. They were the first 
one of the first bipedals that we saw that walked up, right? That was Lucy. Do you remember when everybody came forth and said, oh, we found, you know, this mummified creature that looks human, but not quite that existed between two to four million years ago? That was Lucy. Had 32 teeth and it was had more human features. And then Homo erectus had even more human features, which was 1.9 to 100,000 years ago to 1.9 million to 100,000 years ago more human arms, torsos, and had common DNA with Lucy. I mean, all of these things go back to my original point on putting the puzzle pieces together where everything fits and aligns and correlates with the pieces around it. Or we just throw all that out and say, oh, that science, it's a bunch of hokey pokey bullshit. We have this book right here and that tells us all we need to know. Hmm. Well, I, uh, I think a little differently than you do about man's uh, knowledge about things and his stepping stone of, of his uh, knowledge about where man came from and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I, I don't know. What, when were you born? In the 70s? I wish. I'm a little older. Well, you were a little too young, but in 70, I think it was 73... They found a mammoth, a baby mammoth. Permafrost. This is the shit that comes out of the ground that you were Mm -hmm. talking about last week. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was in a running position, pretty well preserved, and it had tropical flowers in its stomach. Now, uh, put on your detective hat. How could that be? Well, it's the same way as we see... We see fossils of plants in Antarctica when there's no plant life in Antarctica. How much do you know about continental drift? Plate tectonics. I, uh... So, I mean, even as a child, when I first looked at a flat map, not on the globe, I mean, the globe, it's kind of misleading because you're spinning it around. I, 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 as most kids, I spent more time just seeing how fast I could spin a globe than studying it. Watch your fingers. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but on a flat map, you see that it looks like that South America, Africa, and North America fit perfectly together. They, they just do. And... If you look at today with satellite technology, we can see that, for example, South America and Africa are separating at a rate of about 2.5 centimeters per year. That's roughly one inch. So about one inch per year. So if you go back 100,000 years, that meant that Africa and South America were around two and a half kilometers closer to each other. If you go back a million years, 25 kilometers If you go back 100 million years, that's 2,500 kilometers, um, which is roughly 2,500 times 6, 120, about 1,500 miles. And this is assuming it's separating at the same rate. And it has been consistently, at least over, there has been no evidence that there was this accelerated, where it jumped from one inch to 10 miles in one year at any given time. So that aligns with around 140 million years ago. Africa and South America were connected, which means those pieces would have fit perfectly together. And with the Gulf of Mexico, you had Pangaea at that point. Yeah, it was like a singular continent. And what they've done is they have taken fossil remains of specific creatures and they have tracked like their migratory, their migration paths. And you can see these perfect trails of where fossils have been found over the last hundred years. And when you take those continents and shift them together and form them as the way it would have 140 to 200 million years ago, you see this perfect trail of like this one uh, freshwater lizard who went from the southern tip of South America 
over to the southern tip of Africa and then down in Antarctica. And that's how they, they found the evidence. It's like in the, in the fossils, when they do potassium argon dating, lo and behold, they're 250 million years old. So, I mean, it all lines up perfectly. And that's part of that puzzle piece that just went. And there's no ulterior motive. We don't, we, I hate it when I say we, sorry. The, the paleontology community, a lot of the scientific community, when they're doing those kind of re- that kind of research and studies, they don't have an ulterior motive for wanting people to believe that 250 million years ago, there was a supercontinent called Pangaea, and we've been slowly evolving and breaking apart and separating and forming over that period of time. There just isn't one. And on a creationist perspective, they will rebel against that, and they will absolutely fight against that hypothesis, that theory now, because it's gone from a theory, hypothesis to a theory, because it contradicts their belief system. Well, I'll wait till you get into the book that I'm reading, because you want to read it, so you know. I think you'll like I'm it. I'm 10% of the way into it. Uh, I'm 50%. Okay. But, I got some I, catching up to do. And it's uh, uh, it, it's quite comical. And it, it has, every generation has a different thought on exactly what you're talking about. And, uh, and they're going to prove them wrong. Most everything has happened in the last 100 years that's happened. It's, it's pretty amazing. Well it, well, it is. But this goes back to our conversation that we had the last time you were on the show was... Every year, we learn something a little bit faster than we did the year before. And we've been going on that since we broke out of the Dark Ages into the era of enlightenment in the 15th century and really opened our minds and rebelled against the church, the organized religion, and started learning things outside of what just the church would teach people. And, and that's accelerating faster and faster and faster. One of the things I think you had mentioned previously is like, no, I'm sorry, it wasn't you. It was David Berlinski. Um, which it kind of, cause he's a smart guy. And I, I was just banging my head on the door jam while I was listening to him. And he was like, his point was, well, we can't prove evolution and evolution is bullshit because nobody's been able to run a computer simulation on, uh, how that would work over this period of time. That's one of his four main arguments against evolution. That's like one of his key ones. We have not at the point today and we weren't 10 years ago when he gave that statement to where computers are powerful enough even supercomputers to run overly complex simulations computers run fairly straightforward simulations do we live in a simulation where's uh, big blue when you need it well it's even that it's you know the, the world's fastest most powerful supercomputers because it's 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 a it's a matter of three things it's a matter of the of the amount of energy available to power such a system it's a matter on the data points that are necessary in order to have an accurate simulation. And then it's about having the processing capability to do it within, you know, one or two generations to actually. But we are further today than we were 20 years ago on that. And simulations are getting more and more efficient at complex simulations. But we're still not there yet. But all evidence points, even on simple simulations, it's like the shit works. The pieces of the puzzle fit. Well, it would seem that way, and I, I would say maybe to that. But my, uh, my thought process is I've studied enough in the Bible that I have faith that there is a God, and he created all things. That's, that's what I... I could buy into believe. that to some extent. And, I, and I, I, again, I told you at the beginning I admire and respect your faith, and, but I, my approach would be more of a deist approach. I've seen too much of the Old Testament to take any of it at heart you got to study more 
I, the more I study, the more I, the more I, my Jesus mind rebels against it. Thirty nine books, and well, of course he did, but him. but he's going to believe that because it was two thousand years ago. He had no education. He he basically he's had a pretty bright guy. He had he had the wisdom of the Old Testament, and I I think he probably would have read the Old Testament and is like, you know, there's some fucked up shit in here. I don't agree with. This is my view. Love your neighbor. Be kind. God is love. Blah blah blah. Which is why I'm warmer on the New Testament than I am the Old Testament. And I appreciate that. And I'm going to build on that with you. Yeah. That's what I think that's what I need to do. But now, I, I, I want to take us back to a question I ask. And I just let you go. And you ran. And uh, I liked everything you had to say. I don't believe it, but I like it. <laughs> well, that's all right. I, I, I am not above being full of bullshit. I will, I will give you that. No. So I originally said in 1973, I think it was about 1973, they found this mammoth in an ice glacier, frozen in a running position, and it had tropical flowers in its stomach that don't grow there because of the ice. Mm-hmm. So if you put on your thinking cow or your sherlock holmes all right i just made myself a note to look that up so will you, you google that and find out and then we'll, we'll no because i can uh, yeah, would you say my quick wit i mean if the question is is how could a, a mammoth have tropical flowers in its stomach how could at it be a in a running event? position frozen and where was, in ice? where was it at oh the, well, the running position i could explain that uh i mean it could it it might actually just be the position that it was in when it when it died. I mean, have you ever seen no, like an it, animal like it was standing? It was standing up in it. It's running. Well, it might appear that way, but like so, imagine you know, so like a, well, it was a, a upright, creature's, but anyway, a creature's a creature's fallen and died, right? And oh, then, then frozen. I, I bring this to you, Chris. Just yeah, and I bring it. Uh, this is well. This is where I'm at. Like so, so it so it falls down. You know, creatures dead. You know, they're lying down on the ground. But then over time, the glacier moves and. It could just move the frozen block of ice instead of being horizontal, but it sand. but it turns into ver- it, but it turns it vertical, and maybe that was just an. Uh, an so, area. what was the actual question, though? Is it was it related to the tropical flowers, or that it was in the running position? No, when I said it froze? they found it. Yeah. in a running position inside of ice, pretty well intact. And when they opened it, did an autopsy and opened it up, they found tropically tropical food in its stomach. So, to me, I thought, wow. That was instantaneous. I mean, that... Oh, yeah, that we, we talked about this uh, in our first episode a little bit, right? Well... It, Go ahead and finish your thoughts. Sorry. Right, well, the, the, my thought is, when you do some reasoning on that, uh, that happened pretty quick. Like, a big change in the weather. Like, quick. related to the flood myth. Yeah. Or the I'm flood saying, story. Or, yeah, yeah. I'm going to let you come to that conclusion, but that always... That always uh, Stuck in my head. I mean, maybe. Uh, well, the flood was the flood. It wasn't. Um, but it changed the atmosphere immediately from the water vapor that was above to now no water vapor. Suggesting like that it was flash frozen. Yeah, flash frozen. Mm-hmm. In fact, they've when the, they found bones of all these animals just smashed in the side of a cliff like a flash, flash flood coming and sweeping them all towards hmm. uh, a side of a cliff. They find all these bones that are... Gosh. Well, anyway, like yeah, I don't know. Immediately. Hmm. hmm. I, I I don't know. Uh, do, 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 I'm just do, giving you some things. No, 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 no. It's fine because I love <laughs> I love rabbit holes. So okay. you, you get you send me rabbit holes every single day. <laughs> and, <laughs> There's one right there. It's in the um, painting. It's right there. Ah. Yeah. Okay. A little rabbit falling down the hole. 
So the the first two articles that I I've stumbled across on this is the myth of the frozen mammal running for flash frozen. No, the myth of the flash frozen mammoth. Oh, okay. When so, was that written? Uh, this one was 2021. Yeah. So that was 2021. I was pretty old in 73. I was at the age of reason. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just remember them thrilled about it. They had pictures on the television. It was a big thing. It was news. Wow. It was news. It wasn't fake. No, news. so this one was, it was, um, somebody was doing research on the, uh, on the science that was used in the paleo, the, the methods of paleontology, or actually it was the source, not the science, to claim that there was a, flash frozen mammoth and they said well the myth of this actually seems to go back much further than 73 when you mentioned but I, i'm going to do I, think, I thought it was in 73 but i'm not but i'm no, gonna i'm old they I'm said it actually goes back the, they said and, and they did refer and there's there's a lot of scientists like no basically the first two articles is like no that's not actually what happened this is what happened but i need to do a lot the, the page is it cites yeah, a lot of scientists. It no, it's going to take and your it's going to take me some research. Some yeah. Research on it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it happened in my lifetime. It was on the news. You know, news was real back then. It was Walter Cronkite. You <laughs> could believe in the news. Anyway, uh, that just it has uh, it. It gives you some thinking. I mean, what if that's true? Let's just say if that's true. If they did find this in a running position, frozen in the ice. With tropical flowers in its stomach, what does that tell us? It tell us it happened instantaneously. Well, in theory, yes, absolutely, it would. And but I would just go back to the two things that I've come to believe. And one is just because we don't understand something, don't automatically ascribe a, su- a supernatural act to the I'm event. I'm not doing that. I ask you to put it. No, no, no. And I will. I'm going to look at I got. I got a lot of reading. I got some explaining to do. I got a lot of reading to do. Um, and the other one is just, you know, with Because rega- you sound pretty sure of yourself. With regards to evolution and, you know, things like, just because we don't know everything doesn't mean we don't know a lot. No, I, I'm not saying... And I mean we as a species, not not we being, you know, me and a part of a specific community. Most of it's all happened in the last 150 years. Most of our learning has, yeah. you know, in the last couple hundred years. I, I, I don't yeah, want to take away... Years. I don't want to take away from... I mean, so let's go back to probably one of the 10 greatest scientific minds... One of the three greatest scientific minds of all time, uh, Isaac Newton. He, the guy developed calculus on a dare... Now there there are debates whether you know he or Leibniz uh, in Germany developed it uh, first, but it doesn't really matter because they did it independently and you know not stealing each other's work. Strange character with a great mind. Oh, he he was absolutely amazingly brilliant, and he created you know or he didn't you know his laws of motion, uh, especially in planetary observations and gravity. You know Einstein called it uh, spooky action at a distance. That was that was gravity. Based on Newton's math and his projections and his model, you know, at some point, he was trying to understand how the planets got into a flat disk and why they were moving and what was causing that movement. And Newton couldn't get his head around why at some point everything didn't just either collapse into the sun or stop moving. So what he his belief was, this is another God of the Gap story, is that 
every now and then God had to come in and nudge things a little bit. And then if he did that, it fit perfectly with his models. He was building a model of the solar system and everything, and it fit perfectly. So it required the intervention of God from time to time. And then lo and behold, I think that was around 1670, 1680, 220 years later, uh, 230 years later, along comes Albert Einstein and has his special theory of relativity and his general theory of relativity and showed exactly how that worked without the need. You know, I did not need God for that hypothesis, you know, without the need of God to, to explain that. You know, so, you know, even back to, you know, from 1600, you won't know, say the last hundred years. So go back to the, to the age of Copernicus and Newton and Galileo. So for the last 400 years, we have learned more than we did in the previous. What do you say? Is that not the world is 6,000 years old, but humans are 6,000 years? Yeah. humans have been on the So we've learned more in the last 400 years than the previous 5,600 years by far. And nothing before 6,000 years. <laughs> no, but I mean, well, it depends. Well, Paleontologists would disagree with you, but well, I, I, I wasn't there, as you said. <laughs> and I wasn't there. I just prefer not to believe that. <laughs> I maybe love it was ancient aliens. Well, maybe aliens from another planet. Yeah. Yeah. I hope sincerely that I never believe anything in my life simply because I want to believe it. You know, I, I don't want to say I prefer to believe or I, I like saying I think I believe that because this or I simply just I don't know. I believe this because of this, but I don't ultimately know. That's a big one. I don't know. It's yeah. I'm not afraid to say I don't know. But if I see evidence that doesn't fit, then I have to discount it. You know what popped into my head when you were t- talking about that? Won't this guy ever shut up? No. <laughs> no, never made that happen. You reminded me of that. I yeah. was like, all the stuff you're thinking about, and I'm going, huh, I like vanilla more than I like chocolate. <laughs> Chris. He's, he's yeah, a, Doug. Sorry. Anything, that, any up? other thoughts? or? Oh, gosh, there's always close? thoughts. But, uh, yeah, we covered some ground here um, a little bit. Uh Okay, let me, let, yeah, Chris, yeah. Chris, you think, James. I want to iterate one more time to the okay. audience that we have two books for them, and yes. all they have to do is listen to the podcast and go over what, they, what they'd like to see on the earth uh, under that rule of Christ, the millennial reign, what they'd like to see, and we'll get their names. I'm going to take the books back and put them. You're going to tell me their names, and uh, then I'm going to sign them, and we'll send them out. Mail them yeah. off. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and we're happy to mail them all for you if you want us to do that. It's um, we'll do it on our dime. We'll just do that. I'd but love you to do it on your dime. I'll do it on my dime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's fine. <laughs> on your half a it's shekel. A, it's, it's on my yeah. I won't know on my fifty shekels. Oh, I mean, okay. yeah. <laughs> so, so good. So and and you know, as of now, I, I when we've covered a lot of ground. I I don't see a chapter three in the in the near future, but I would like to get you back on at some point if we're talking about something that you know where you might be able to contribute. Or uh, I know you're working on your next book. You you need to get on work it a little harder. You need to work a little harder <laughs> when that's ready. Yeah. And we get we that book done. We and we, yes, and we definitely we definitely want to have you on to uh, you know once I've had a chance to read it. To, well, we'll see. We want to you know. 
Anytime you want to give me a call, I'd be glad to come. I, I've enjoyed myself tonight. It, and was, I, it was fun listening. I think on your next book, No though, matter how wrong you were, it was fun exactly. listening. I'm wrong all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's one thing that I'm really good at. <laughs> What's that? Being wrong. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> so right we need to, we will definitely schedule chapter three at a much sooner date after I've had a chance to read your second book, because this one, you know, I read that book, but that was seven months ago now that I, yeah, that I read, it, read so. it. Reread it again. Yeah, no, I think we did and good. I think we did good. We're covering bits and pieces here and there. So well, Chris um, needed to read it for sure. I need to read a lot of things. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have, Chris, I'm going to be, pel- I'm going to be pelting Chris with, uh, I think, uh, first and second amendment stuff to be reading over the next couple weeks for our next episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. Read John mm-hmm. Stuart Mill's book. You'll mm-hmm. like it on Liberty. Yeah. Oh, cool. So. All right. Great. So thank you everyone. I think we are done here. Thank um, you. Doug. Yes. And we, yeah, James love having you anytime. Thanks for joining us. Author Peter James, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank Chris, you, sir. Did, wait a minute. I cut you off to What's talk that? about the book for a second, but you were going to finish a thought, did you? No, I, I was just thinking if I had thoughts and um, not really necessarily. Uh, any ones that have already come up, I, I kind of was like, here's some mist. and <laughs> See if it makes some lightning. <laughs> All right, great. And I don't have any witty humor to close with. So with that, we'll just say uh, we're out. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Irrational Discourse Podcast. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes, you can send us an email at debate at irrationaldiscourse.com, or you can contact us directly through our website at www.irrationaldiscourse.com. Please include your name and location if you'd like a shout out for your contribution. We only ask for, and strive to give in return, a little love, acceptance, and mutual respect.